Welcome, everybody. This is Painful Weekly, episode 191. This is the last episode um, before our holiday break. Um, so we'll be away, I guess, three weeks or something like that. We'll see. Yeah. What are we, um, we going to do? I don't, yeah, what my Monday is. Come on. So. <laughs> <laughs> All the time, right? But yeah, it's it's better to have a break um, because of getting visitors during the holiday <laughs> season is, is a bit difficult. So that's complicated. But it is now, what is it? It is 12th of December, um, and this is going to be released on 13th of December on Tuesday. My name is Sato Yuvonen. I'm a product manager in Microsoft 365 platform areas. And with me as a co-host is... <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Valdek Mastegas, and I am developer advocate for Microsoft 365 at Microsoft. Excellent. And, and typically in the show, like always, we have a visitor in place. Who's the visitor this time? Da, 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 da. Julia Casper. To who's Julia? Who's Julia Casper? Julia is a PM at Microsoft. She is in the, uh, the DevDev, which is the part of Microsoft that builds tools for devs. Yep. And she focuses on Fusion Dev, among, among other things. So we would love to talk to her about all things Fusion Dev, where it's going, what's in, what's out, what's relevant, what are the trends, and what people should pay attention to. Yes, absolutely. And then after Julia's uh, interview, we will jump on the weekly articles. Not that many articles this time, um, but you know, I guess we're heading to the holiday season, so we see less and less activities uh, from people, which is good. That means that people are resting. So, which is super, super important as well. But as you're writing something, or if you're on Twitter, please do hashtag PMP Weekly, uh, so we understand what are you publishing. But for now, let's jump on the interview with Julia. So, welcome, Julia, uh, on the PMP Weekly. I, I think it's episode 191. We just did the record no, the intro of this still, one. Yes, yes, it is still. <laughs> but thank you, Julia, for joining us on the on the uh, PMP Weekly. You've been traveling, actually, as well, if I understood the, the start discussion gone. But let's actually recap that in a second. Um, and can you um, can you do first a quick intro, who you are and what do you do for a living? Okay, for sure. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much, Valdeg and Vesa, for having me on the show. And my name is Julia. I'm a program manager on the Microsoft Ed or on the Microsoft Developer Division. I'm overlooking the developer experience for using low-code tooling. So that's kind of my end-to-end -end scenario. I'm an end-to-end -end program manager, but we have lots of fun words for different types of program management. But I'm super passionate about developers using it or what are some of the scenarios that developers can be doing and using low-code tooling. So yeah. I've been traveling a bit. I've been talking to um, a lot of the community or a lot of the folks outside of the Microsoft ecosystem system around this. Um, I am collaborating a lot with our partner teams on the Microsoft Power Platform because it is a cross-org scenario. So it's very, very important that different orgs with different services and products in it do talk and do collaborate about different things, which can be very challenging from time to time, even though we are on Microsoft communication is key, right? But I absolutely love the job and love working with all our partner teams on the different organization spectrum. Now, let's let's clarify a bit about the role. You said the low-code uh, tooling. Does that mean Power Platform only, or is that more than the Power Platform? Just to be super clear on, the, on what does the low-code actually mean? Mm -hmm. So low-code, how Microsoft defines it, also from an eco 
perspective view. And we have different tools. So one is logic apps and the other one is the whole ecosystem around the power platform. My role in particular is looking at the end-to-end scenario, everything related to the Microsoft Power Platform. And we do have like a lot of great PMs on the logic apps team. And we do feel like more developers are interested in this already. So that's why I'm kind of new to the spectrum overlooking the end-to-end scenarios for the Microsoft Power Platform. And there in particular, Power Apps, Power Automate, and Power Virtual Agent. And what does the overall, what was it, overall feature PM, what does it actually mean? So what, what do you do for, actually, what, what does it mean in practice? What do you do for a living? <laughs> Just to clarify, <laughs> so, because it's like, yeah. I coordinate this thing. Sure, but what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It, is, it can be very confusing, even for me internally, because it is a highly collaborative uh, role for sure. So in the Microsoft Developer Division, we do have two different types of program managers. One are very classical feature PMs, which are like, okay, this is my product. This is my, even within products, you you own certain features. So they are in particular overlooking a certain feature or a certain product. And Microsoft figured out a few years ago, which is, it is great to have feature PMs, but it isn't so great from a customer perspective, because of course, we only look at our products itself, and we don't really look (laughs) beyond the the cosmos there. So that's why they started to have so-called end-to-end PMs, which are then more interested in the customer story. So in I'm, I'm talking about the customer in my in my use case, talking about the developer um, perspective itself. But my job kind of is to define what is the end-to-end story that developers could be interested in using local tooling and what different products are involved in this end-to-end story. Because typically, and that's also something we are seeing with a lot of customers, it's not just one product. Um, <laughs> as much as we wish it would be only one product or it would be yeah. only Microsoft, most likely that isn't the case. So we are trying to get different folks from different product areas together and thinking about what we want to achieve achieved there and then um, figuring out, well, what is the next step for a certain product, but also for the end-to-end story. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Now, I actually, finally, finally, I understood after 16 years, what is my role? Because I'm not a feature PM either, but I'm a PM, so apparently, <laughs> good to know. Apparently, I fall on that bucket. I think I wanted to ask you, Julia. Looking at the past few years, how do you see uh, developers' work evolve to kind of encompass these low-code technologies, right? Because, like, originally, when somebody would say, say dev, like, you would instantly associate a, a person who writes code. How, how has that changed in the last few years? Oh, that's a very, I love the question. So I think it didn't really change even the last few years. I mean, if we look back even a little bit further, we had classical or typical developers just focusing on back-end development. We had typical developers just looking at front-end technologies. Then we had this whole whole motion about full stack, and ideally you should basically be able to do everything. And now with local tooling, it means, okay, you as a developer, you don't just have to understand all of your um, uh, back-end, front-end, full-stack um, technologies that you're already using, but you should also use now different tools like low-code as well. So over the last couple of years, I think low-code 
became more popular, definitely in a business area. And that's also something we're still seeing some kind of a bias from developers using low-code tooling or hearing about it for the first time, which totally makes sense. I mean, low-code, if you look at it, it definitely isn't the friendliest name itself, um, especially from a developer perspective, because initially you think like, okay, low-code, this means I don't get to do what I'm passionate about and I don't, uh, like I'm not being used in a way. So ideally, <laughs> Microsoft marketing would have promoted it a different <laughs> way. But something we are seeing is that more and more developers or more than more technical people are getting interested in using those tools. Because at the end of the day, it's just another tool in the tool set and whatever kind of gets the work done that you maybe liking to do or maybe you just have to do at some point you're just looking at different tools that you can be using and is is benefiting your work to work or your day-to-day -day work now i just got an idea for how we can name it differently in a way that would be more appealing to devs and you heard it here first low off code <laughs> Developers hate dealing with off that's true in that is true. And so true all power platform Click, you have off, a connector done. and it's there. Yep. It and works. while you don't need to write code, you don't need to write auth code. That sells me immediately on and it. It's, and it's basically all of the baseline code is being provided for you, focus on business logic. But now coming back on, I, I, I need to ask the elephant in the room about the elephant in the room. There's no elephant in the room, I guess. Uh, hopefully there isn't. Um, but is the low code, is it that then a treff for the pro developer, or what is the future direction um, given the, the growing demand for building solutions? Um, is this gonna actually devalue then the pro developer work or what's happening? So definitely what we don't wanna do is we don't wanna educate or make pro developers, citizen developers, because I mean, looking at the, the graph or like, the skills you will need in the future, we ha we don't have enough developers, so it wouldn't yes, be the exactly. smartest thing to make them citizen developers. So kind of where their role comes is in is low-code tooling is a great way to get a lot of the jobs done easily, but not all of the jobs because it is local tooling. So it is an ecosystem and you can use certain features, certain things in a very certain way. But from time to time, and especially talking to a lot of customers, they always need some kind of customization, some more extended features, especially if, if we think about all of the Azure service or all of the things that you want to connect your local tooling with. And this is where the um, pro developer or the, the typical developer comes in and is enabling these solutions and is helping business side or maybe even is um, making the business side, yeah, just explore these solutions better. And it's more about working together in the future rather than working in a silos ways and just making it faster for everyone in the circle. You, you actually said it in your uh, answer just to re elaborate that a bit. So as we know, and, and Julia was referring to the growth curve of a demand for developers, that the, the, we cannot train developers fast enough to actually address the demand for developers. And that's where the low-code, uh, no-code solutions come really in. So that they, so that the customers can still do business and automate business processes, even though they cannot hire a pro developer or a developer because they just 
doesn't exist anymore. There there's isn't enough of them. So, so just to, this does not mean that the pro development will be going away. Uh, even though every now and then our marketing is pretty black and white, and that's also something within, after a while in Microsoft, you're real, um, in ecosystem, you, everything goes in cycles. Uh, right now, everything is like, no code, no code, nothing else matters. And it's like, well, that's a great Metallica song, by the way, um, but it's not the reality. Uh, so it's it's within a few years, and the pendulum moves another direction. And of course, the pro developers are always needed. So that's not going to go away. So. Oh, no, for sure. And maybe also to to um, add something to that is ideally in the future, and I know this is a very high skill or something we haven't seen a lot with a lot of customers just yet, but it might even become more collaborative. So, for example, if IT or development organization, they get new requests and they can already see their backlog totally being filled and they just see another request coming in saying, hey, we need another application. And maybe at this point they are like, oh, the requirements aren't as crazy and maybe we can bring in somebody from the business side as well and helping us develop this because we just don't, if we now have to do this all by ourselves as well, it's just more yeah. and more work we have to do. And this is where this whole collaborative or fusion development um, area might come in. And it's uh, more about working together and building these apps together in the future. And that is also well, like first, then I'll... because uh, <laughs> it also means that developers or enterprise devs, right, have to think very much a, a, API first. Do you see people do that already? Right? Because like, if they build something and that doesn't expose an API, Power Platform or Fusion, like, there's nothing to connect to. So to what extent do you see necessity for a shift to, to happen yet, where folks will get the mindset of API first? Or to what extent do you think, well, we are there already. We are already thinking API first. And with that, it's like very easy step to enable non-pro devs to build apps on that. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So I think even before API first, or maybe at the same time, it becomes our more trend towards microservices in general. Because if yeah. we look at architecture right now, it's like historic, historically we built something and now we're just adding and adding and just making this crazy historic backend um, architecture here. And rather than thinking about, okay, um, re-architecture into microservices that then at some point can be ending up at as APIs and can then be consumed not just by developers itself but maybe also of those low-code citizen developers will definitely help talking about the, the story and how to consume those backend services with different types. I'm just calling it different types of front end or different types of tooling itself, which can be pro code, which can be low code, but maybe a first shift into thinking about microservices first, which, which can be or which are APIs in general, but it's more the trend towards microservices. And from there, it's a good approach to then think about how can we connect these microservices and depending on the requirements or depending on the use case, maybe it's for low code, maybe it's for, no, this doesn't work. And now we need our dev or our engineers working with it from a more pro code perspective. So yeah. that's how I would get started with it. I think one of the things, so when I first kind of got involved a bit on the power platform, it's like, okay, so I need to always build a connector and I have to be able to connect it to APIs and then I can get to do the other things. And I, I, I to be honest, 
Sure, that's true, but that's not the mind, right mindset. The, the, in the enterprise scale, we should be thinking about the microservices and APIs, like I said. And then we, we need those pro developers. Then we need somebody who understands those APIs to provide the connectors in place. And you can have that connector factory in place within the enterprise level. And then you will have a funnel of even more business application designers who don't need to understand where the data is coming from or how the data comes from. They just use the connector in place. So you don't... As you build your Power App, you don't always start by creating a connector and then the Power App. What if the connectors are in place and you basically have the baseline service layer within your enterprise? And that's way your business specialists and business and low-code developers can just take advantage of what's behind of the scenes. And, and that's maybe potentially, I'm just brainstorming, uh, maybe mm-hmm. some, we have all of these plans in place and guidances, but we should kind of have a white paper for enterprise level team structure and planning and how you should be thinking these layers rather than just power app and a connector and an API. So I don't know if we have that. Are you able to follow up on what I'm actually saying? No, yeah, I yeah. and I totally agree. And I would love to see the white paper, uh, white paper myself for sure yeah. as well. Um, because that's also something we have been seeing with a lot of customers or um, out there, how people do it right now. It's very siloed. It's yes, exactly. power apps. And we have to just now work with power apps. Whereas kind of the idea what we want to do is well, how about services and different types of connection you can build up on those um, services? And then whatever tooling fits or whoever is going to be working on this application can then work with it. If it's yep. somebody on the local side, then that's perfect because then we can use the other person who would be working on it from our engineering team doing something else. And it also comes into preference too, right? I mean, everyone, every person likes to work in a certain way. So for example, if somebody is super passionate about opening up their Visual Studio every day and they don't want to use any other tooling, then yes, that's perfectly fine as well. Exactly. We, yeah. What about other people, for example, on the business side who are used to PowerPoint and now they're coming over to the Power App side and that's kind of where they feel at home now too. Um, yep. So yeah. Yeah. So, and as long as you have the connector in place, then tens and tens of Power Apps developers or connector or automation developers can actually take advantage of it. It's, 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 it does require a certain set of mindset thinking, um, a bit of a switch on the, okay, how do we do this in an enterprise scale or in an enterprise level? But I mean, like, it isn't, it isn't different. Like, so a while back, I made the analogy that you know, where in the past, in office, we would have um, the macros we would build in VBA. It's basically the same automation, but then in a cloud. So you're mm-hmm. not automating in, inside a file. You're now automating on the data that are still for work, but that are start, stored in a cloud. And then you combine that. And then the cool thing is, right, that you can also now uh, bring in your LOB, right? So it doesn't need to be just like, like you first need to get all of the things you want to work on into a file like an Excel sheet, access database, or whatever we had in the past. And only then you can do things on top, right? Like nowadays with uh, connectors, we kind of expand the limits of that to kind of the, the workplace because it isn't even M365. It's any resource that is exposed through an API. Yep. 
Yeah. yeah. Also, something I like about this idea is um, the topic of scalability, right? Before, and if we think about VBA here, it's it was very much local development. You had it within your Excel sheet, and you're the only one knowing about this great macro. Maybe somebody else heard it, then you're sharing it um, via your... <laughs> however you shared it. But then now if we think about more from a scalability level, I can create a connector and then I can push it to a Power Platform environment, for example. And all of the folks who have access to this Power Platform environment, they can at least see it. It doesn't necessarily mean they have access to it, but at least they are aware, okay, something has been going on or I might get access to some certain types of data. And it I think in general helps organizations also from the transparency or building applications faster, especially if we look at the challenge of demand and not having enough unskilled people out there who can support yeah. such scenarios. Yeah. It, it almost <laughs> sounds like way in the past, we already had in enterprise, you know, the service catalog idea where there would be an IT managed catalog of services and APIs and things that they would offer to business. And yeah. in a way, it sounds to me like power platform connectors become that. They're kind of the way IT can, with a really low effort, advertise to business what different things they have to offer. Sure. This is kind of a classic storyline of, of back in early 80s. It was a different set of things. Late 80s, a different set of things. But every single pigeons and owls. <laughs> well, but every single decade, every single, let's say, there's always a trend. Where, how are we going to do this uh, enterprise catalog of services? And, and of course, power, uh, power platform connectors, one way of doing that. But that's only for the power platform connectors. So most likely there's a, for power platform usage and and, and the, the logistic, logic app and all of that, maybe there's a separate layer again of publishing the services. But it's it's actually kind of a, that's that's one of the holy grails of enterprise development has always been, how do we do the catalog of services and how do we make them available for everybody? And it's actually interesting. It moves on the cycle. Exactly. And documentation and everything. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Five Absolutely. years and there's another way of doing that again. And five years, another trend is coming. Which so. is good. It means we're learning. Yeah, I guess we are. So. <laughs> I hope we are. <laughs> <laughs> now, Julia, that was really good discussion on, on what are you doing right now and all of that. Can, can you explain a bit, how did you got to do what you're doing right now? And, and where are you based in, not in US and Redmond? How did that happen? Can you talk about your history? How, how do you get to be to work on things, what you work on? Yeah, for sure. So before I joined Microsoft in the US, so Microsoft as a program manager in Seattle, I used to work as a Microsoft consultant and back in, in Germany in our lovely Munich office, I went to customers or at least they booked us via engagement and we helped them to implement different types of solutions. So I did some SharePoint development. I started um, building, we had a huge bot hype in Europe. I'm not sure if it's still there, but at least whenever I was, every customer wanted to have some kind of bot development. So I did a lot of bot teams development for some of our customers. And at some, especially as a customer, you always need to be in engagements because that's, you need to build your hour. Everyone who has been working in consultancy definitely knows. So at some point I started <laughs> the, the trend of bot development um, decreasing. And I was like, well, what, what are some other opportunities that customers are currently interested in? And that's when I heard for the first time about Power Platform and local tooling. 
And I remember my manager, she told me about this and she's like, hey, Julia, like we have a really great um, engagement with one of our customers in Germany. Are you interested in? And my first comment was, oh, no, local to like, I don't do that. <laughs> so I had and the same bias. Yes, I had the same bias everyone else had. But I started to, yeah, skill, skill myself up. I started to learn a little bit more about this and I talked to, of course, talked to our customers about that, talked about like some of the scenarios that they wanted to do. And I came across the same challenges and we are still seeing as, okay, the customer has a perfect picture of the app or the, like the thing that they wanted to implement. But you're always with local tooling, you do come to a certain point and at some point you need to extend it. And that's where you need those pro code <laughs> code pieces. And I had a very typical example. They wanted to connect to an on-prem database. We didn't know how to do it because it didn't have the connector in the Power Platform ecosystem. So I had to build a web API, had to deploy it as a custom connector. And then it was the perfect fusion story. I did the fusion story and it was horrible because I had so many <laughs> things I had to go through. And I started to reach out to a lot of PMs on um, back in Redmond. And I was like, hey, this isn't working. Like, couldn't we make this better? I had a different idea, he idea here. Of course, at the beginning, people with my European directness, they were like, hold up. Like, <laughs> this is really something we need. But then I ended up with my manager, I'm who then later uh, <laughs> reached out to me again. But I ended up with him and we had a really, really great chat. I think it was initially for 30 minutes, but then we ended up talking one hour. And I basically complained to him all about the things <laughs> that didn't really work. And I, I had so many ideas how we can make it better. And I think two weeks later, he reached out to me again and he's like, hey, Julia, <laughs> we are actually searching for somebody for an end-to-end -end PM who basically does whatever you are doing already, but <laughs> you keep... Uh, a lot. You are, yes. now, you are now going to fix it. <laughs> you are now going to fix it. And that's how I ended up um, in Redmond. I ended up in originally because with COVID happening and everything, we thought about me just staying in Munich and working from there. But then, and I know we talked about this already, with different teams and different time zones, it just very much made sense for me to be moving to the U.S., and yeah, that's how I ended up in Redmond. <laughs> I'm still yeah, complaining really. a lot. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's good, right? Like, like you have firsthand, like you're not, you're not, it's not a theory exercise. Like you had firsthand experience going through that, suffering the pains, paper cuts, as they're called. And now you kind of are in place where you can address all them. So I think it makes yep. really, yep. for that's like, really good. it doesn't get better than that, right? And I'm interested though, so, how do you stay in touch with that? Because like, as you get to fix things, how are you keeping up with the new experiences and new places to, uh, to fix? Yeah, I think it definitely helped that I used to work in, in the field, how we call it, because I yeah. still very much benefit from those connections. I'm still yeah. trying to make sure to reach out to the people I used to work with or even starting to reach out to more people that I know that are in the same area. Um, I also want to make sure that I or I'm making sure that at least once or twice a week I'm talking to customers because I think they are the ones providing actual feedback to us. So I'm making sure that I'm still trying to stay in touch with customers or partners 
because I think they do provide the real feedback because we have our Microsoft lens on and we're like, oh, this is how it's supposed to work, but it never is. So, yeah. <laughs> the amount of time you're, you're showing somebody like back in a few years ago when there was conferences and everything else, and then there was engineering people with there and then you go to meet the partners and show them that, hey, did you know the partners built this one? What? What? Doing what? 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 <laughs> what are they building? So we never intended that to be used like that. Yeah, but you, yeah, okay, fine. But that's a typical discussion. Now, can we go back a back a bit on uh, kind of a, for the closure of the of the discussion and uh, pick on the on the fusion development and the work what you do right now? What what does that mean? What are we? Is it is there's something what we can talk about? What are we building in the VS Code or VS to make the fusion dev easier? So what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So me starting and like I started as a PM last year in January, the first thing I did is, first of all, writing down all of my feedback. But of course, I also have my biases. I'm also doing things in a certain way. So I started to interview other developers across the world and trying to figure out what are some of the struggles they are going through. And then we wrote a white paper about it. We shared it with different teams and we came up with a few things related to products that we feel like these are these are things necessary to drive the fusion story or to drive local uh, pro developers using local tooling. So something we are currently working on is, for example, how to get started even as a developer. So right now, if I look at any of the IDEs, we do have a power platform extension in Visual Studio Code, but we don't have anything um, in Visual Studio yet. So that's something we have been working on. And especially if we think about web API development, I mean, especially with the dot net community right which is huge huge and which are typically using visual studio we know like it <laughs> we know we have developers all over the place but we also wanted to create a space there that just gets them started easily and figuring out and trying those different kinds of tooling um, as well we also from a azure api man because um, azure api management perspective because that's kind of the hub I know we talked about it, so it's the, the catalog trying to combine different services within an organization to make the integration part from there easier as well, because we know a lot of customers are concerned or security and governance is always a big topic and is something we should be aware of. So we want to also make a secure and governant way to expose your web APIs in a more scalable level as well. And this is why we chose um, Azure API Management as, as a connecting service there to get your APIs into the Power Platform side as well. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Now, if I drill in a bit more, so what are we, how are we planning to, what, what are the tooling doing? What, what is the VS Code tooling doing? How is it making things easier uh, for developers? What, what does, what does, what is the magic? Mm -hmm. So the ideal picture is I'm opening up my Visual Studio. I'm opening up an ASP.NET web API project. And we have our great page of connected services. So in the future, you can easily just connect your local project to a Power Platform environment. And then because now with Dev Tunnels, it's a new feature that we, the Visual Studio team just released. As soon as they hit F5, and now we are just talking about the inner loop, right? So I'm still in my on my local machine. I'm still de developing 
happening within my inner loop. But as soon as I um, hit F five, I want to see how this is being consumed or what I can do on the Power Platform side. Oh, so this cool. will then initially create a custom connector or the, basically the wrapper around my web API. And I'm then able, while I still have it running on my local machine, to start exploring and connecting it with my Power App there or even with my Power Automate flow if that's something I want to test and, and try out as well. So you are able to test and debug it while running locally. If we think about even further, because that's the inner loop, right? If we now think about the the um, loop after the outer loop, not the outer loop, and um, it's all about <laughs> the fruity loop. <laughs> if you think about the outer loop, it's how do I then from publishing my web API, how do I then get it into the Power Platform side as well? And right yeah. now we have a great story with Azure API management in place, but we all know not every customer is, of course, using this service. So there should be another and maybe even easier way to also create a custom connector just whenever you deployed it to any kind of cloud service. Yeah, basically it's being an extension of your CI CD pipe, right? The moment you publish an API from there, you basically have a target, you push your code, and you can also push the connector. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. That makes sense. Right now, <laughs> you would be surprised how many people still right-click publish in Visual Studio, even though our best practice, of course, is having a, a good CI-CD pipeline in place. Yeah. But I, w I personally was surprised seeing the numbers, how many people still press the right-click so publish I button. Wonder with, I wonder with that, to what degree that is kind of the same thing where way back when uh, there was a research done that the most popular type of app built in VS was a Windows Form app. And it was like, why? Well, because that's the easiest way to build an app, click a button, click and a have button. a piece of code yeah. run. Yeah. Right? So so I wonder to what degree that's kind of that, or is it really that people build production APIs and publish from a local box? Yeah. Uh, it's surprising. And that's what I mean about still being in contact with customers or our end users, right? Because they are going to show you how they actually are using our tooling. I know we have those crazy plans and whatever we want it <laughs> to be, but it definitely makes sense to have some interviews with them afterwards and seeing how they are using it. And if this is really helping them and is solving their business problems. Yeah, a, a classic example, just you need to preach the calf of the existing users to the vision which you have. So you don't actually jump aboard like five years and they're like, no, 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 no. So yeah. a super classic example still makes me smile because I was working already at Microsoft at the time. Whenever we released Microsoft, no, Windows Azure uh, the first time, it was all past services, platform as a service services. There was no IIS, there was nothing because we basically thought that community and ecosystem would be ready to jump on the path and platform as a service model. And they weren't. So and that's why we lost a lot of the customers who went to AWS because they had infrastructure mm -hmm. as a service. It makes no sense in the longer run to use infrastructure as a service because just it doesn't if you can get rid of it. But but customers and partners like, well, I don't understand that. I need to have a VM. I need to have a computer. I need to sign it. I need to look into that. So you need to kind of bridge the gap. And quite often as we, some of us work in the Redmond, uh, the Redmond bubble takes you away and then it's like, well, of course everybody is in this Redmond bubble thing. No. So it's good to have that oh, connection sure. with the real world. Yeah, yeah but so. it's also this, you know, duality between 
yes, you want to innovate and you want to show people a better way of doing things. Sure. But if you are too many steps ahead of them, exactly. well, then it's really hard to bring them along, right? Because like they are here and they need to be there. And the first step is here, not directly there, right? So yeah. you have to have also that the reality check where, where they are and what is the first step there. I mean, like maybe the easiest thing is exactly to take your on-prem workloads, put them on a VM in Azure, and that is your first step towards the cloud yep. from which you will step-by-step expand it to microservices and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. For sure, yeah. One, and I, I mean, yeah, one step at a time, but I think it's also important to have like a vision, like where you want, especially as a program manager that is working with a lot of feature PMs, it's like trying to get across like the vision you at some point have. And if it does take, and especially at Microsoft, does take 10 years or five years, but at least, you know, something you're working towards. And this doesn't, I mean, it can always change on the way, right? Especially talking to customers and talking to different people who are using it. This can change, but at least from a vision perspective it's nice to have something like this and thinking about the developer perspective in these scenarios as well yep absolutely absolutely and that helps an alignment within inside of Microsoft as well because quite often we need to work across multiple 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 organizations and conflicting interests and all of that which is a bit complicated so good good uh, from a timing perspective we typically do this in every single interview what, what's happening this week anything interesting uh, i can see from the background clock that it's uh, 344 in your location so you are in <laughs> germany so <laughs> yeah, yes. no i am in the us and just put my clock as if it was in germany <laughs> Because jet it's lag. pretty bright on what is it, six forty-five in <laughs> Seattle. <not> so, <laughs> well, on summertime that could be the Seattle sun. But anyway, <laughs> that's true. It's on. It's. I mean, it's nice to have some German sun here for sure. But no, I'm in Germany. I think the biggest challenge always is traveling back is working different time zones so my day actually just started maybe two or one hour before our call was so. And especially typically before holidays, I'm trying to focus more on the strategic work, like writing documentation, writing some um, strategy papers about where we are with our tooling right now, what we want to do. Today, I actually have a call with another customer because we have a new... then we have a new linking or at least in private preview for next year from Azure API management to the Power Platform. So right now we want to get some customers on board who are willing to test it and give us feedback. So we have our kickoff call with them today. So that's always super interesting because we get to tell them kind of what is in private preview. We get to show them a demo and they are usually also super excited about all the things that are coming. So that always definitely makes my day for sure. Yeah, cool. really, really cool. Now, and, and of course, you'll be in Germany for the holiday season. Is that the case? Just, yeah, just out of curiosity. But um, any, any time off on the upcoming weeks for you? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, um, I mean, during Christmas, everything slows down here anyways. Yeah. And especially if you make a, such a far trip, I'm taking two weeks off just uh, being with family and friends, which is yep. always nice, because now that I live in a <laughs> overseas, you don't get to see them that often anymore. Sure. So yeah, I'm super excited about that too. True. Waldek, what about you? This is the last episode yes. before we close up for the holidays. Yeah, oh my, that's a big thing, right? No. Uh, yeah. So another year of <laughs> of this show, another year of us talking to each other every week, at least one, once a week. Oh my god. Every single week. Uh, it's just, yeah. yeah. Always <laughs> the same. Once, sometimes eight times, right? 
Um, <laughs> this week, so d- despite so despite everybody saying like things slow down, like I'm not seeing it. On the opposite, I things get crazy. Like I'm still like I'm getting so much work to like new ideas, new things that I want to do right now because I know that in a week or two weeks people will be gone. It's like we need to do it now. So I'm trying to cram as much uh as i can into the last day but yeah i will, I will be off the last day or, or the last day the, the last week of the month so i'm taking some some time away too but until then it's it's all hands on deck and doubling down on all of the work that i have done and that, that, that i want to do now ideally today which will not be the case <laughs> <laughs> you always want to do all of the work on one day right yeah, yeah. yes yes more um, ideas than hours in a day unfortunately yeah that's I, my calendar is full of like play, 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 placeholders and that's like I, I didn't have a time to do that 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 well fine I'll do it tomorrow to me tomorrow to me tomorrow then yeah, it's a while boring. back a while <laughs> back I, I I had the idea to organize my work so I had this separate uh, list in to to do named three things and it was supposed to hold the three days or three things for me to do in a day I ended yeah. up having like eight items in a three items to do in a day list it's like you know what that's not gonna work Yes, it's pretty hard. <laughs> now, I, I have to say, since we are closing for the holiday, uh, and we go to the articles in a second, and we'll talk about that one in a bit as well, but the first episode of um, PMP Weekly was actually 17th of August, 2018. So it's been pretty, wow. pretty long time. What, what, so, what have we been doing then? So 2018, Teams was already a thing. Power Platform wasn't a thing, I think. No, I don't think was that it? was a thing. I don't think it even existed. Yeah, it's only it's only four years, but it's already four years. Yeah. <laughs> that, that stuff evolves. Anyway, uh, on and you on, guys are still friends, which is a good thing. After <laughs> are we? Or is it an is it an act? So you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in my case, I will be actually working on the throughout the holiday, um, so which is not too bad because there's uh, not working too much, but you know, uh, catching up on things. Uh, it, it's a great opportunity for actually cleaning up things in a non-stressful situation for you to get to inbox zero. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not going to happen for sure. I already know. <laughs> Control A, delete <laughs> inbox zero. That would be one way of doing that. So <laughs> it is what it is. So after being in a roles for a long time, it's just impossible to do that. Um, but I, to be fair, I still don't understand, for example, how Jeff Tieper does that. So he keeps on responding and promoting and responding emails and everything. It's like... How, how he do you probably has ah. everything with three things to do in a day and he's yeah. better, better, than, better than maybe, maybe. <laughs> but that's why they are leaders right that's true that is true that's true that is so true anyway uh thank you julia for a great discussion uh enjoy the time off really really good to get catch up um we'll catch you again on the show some point uh, to talk about and to maybe to sure. talk about what was then released and what are the things what what is now being used and all of that stuff it's it's a good way of coming back on on what we were well following up on your promise was it actually delivered or not just kidding so <laughs> i would i would love that no make me accountable and also if um, i'm always happy to hear feedback not just obviously from you guys but everyone who has been listening in and is a complainer as I am. I love to meet fellow complainers because that's how we learn. So feel free to reach out. 
I use improvenist as the term for that. So which is I identify myself as an improvenist. It's not that you need to be perfect, but you can always improve. So that's why it's not about complaining. It's about providing like constructive feedback. No, I like that word. This club. Hello, <laughs> I am, am anonymous improvenist. Anonymous improvenist. <laughs> and I have an idea. <laughs> I'm going to steal that term now, Vesa. I'm going to be an improvenist as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. But thank you, Julia, for this one. Um, and as I said, have a great uh, holiday and get some rest and all the best uh, for the for the role and the new year. Yeah, thank you. Super excited about all, everything that's coming. Thank Excellent. You. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Julia. One more time on the discussions. Really, really cool stuff. And, and happy holidays as well. Good to get some time away. Or, well, if, you, if people don't have time away, they will have a less, at least the hopefully during holiday season uh, at least in my case it seems that I have time to catch up on things which is good <laughs> <laughs> but let's actually jump on the weekly articles um, and go them through what do we have there so let me share my screen let's start from a Microsoft Teams blog uh, frontline workers using shared devices can now use Edge and Yammer apps on Android alongside Teams so basically this is the direction where we are investing which has more and more frontline worker based capabilities and making sure that our applications are more streamlined for the mobile experiences as well, because the quite a lot of actually workforce don't sit by in the front of the desktops, right? And yes. it's it's actually kind of interesting when I think about it. At some point, we were talking about a lot about information workers, which was the primary objective of Microsoft. I'm sure they're still a, one of the big areas, but nowadays more and more we can say that we're expanding the services and offerings and features to the frontline workers. So cool to see investments in these areas as well. Now, we also had a new blog post uh, around uh, the Microsoft Whiteboard mobile apps. Exactly. So again, right, it's being productive and effective on the go on your phone, right? So, and, and in this case, being able to have a whiteboard, so a place where you can sketch, take notes, brainstorm with others and this is about the is it update or is it a release is it initial release of the app to uh it seems like a new app yep yep yeah so we have a new app for ios and android that allows you to have the whiteboard experience on the go yep really really cool and and it seems to be actually pretty nicely implemented so you can do a lot of lot of stuff in the in the uh, mobile phones as well so it gets more and more natural to just use the mobile phone which is kind of nice um, even though of course i love the three screen five screen setup what i have but you know if you don't have that option so one screen ought to be enough for everybody Sure, whatever. Now, um, on the Power Automate side, uh, there was a December 2022 update on Power Automate for desktop. Uh, so, um, and nice blog post from Yanis and Mavaridis um, around the different updates which are, which are coming out as part of this uh, release. So not a massive amount of things, uh, but new capabilities every single month uh, to get available. I, I, by the way, love the fact that they are having uh, kind of a monthly schedule and communications and it's clear expectations all of that stuff, which is, you know that there's a monthly summary, you know that it's coming, you will be shared what's what's uh, actually new, which is really, really cool. On the independent publisher connector side, we had some updates as well. Exactly. So in November 2022, we released apparently 13 new independent connectors, right? So these are the connectors for APIs that are 
already built by someone else, and then community builds the connectors that aren't available there, there yet. So this is um, all geared towards the ability for folks to use APIs in uh, power apps, uh, power automated flows, logic apps, to more easily use these APIs that are already available. Really, really cool. Uh, and I can say Troy Day Taylor once again has um, shared quite a few of the things. So Troy, Troy is really, really, really <laughs> helping people to get APIs connected to the Power Platform. So really, really awesome stuff. Thank you. And of course, thank you for everybody else who are sharing their knowledge and skills and, and uh, here as well. Now, we also had an update from the Power Apps uh, community, uh, Power Apps engineering site around automated deployments with pipelines in Power Platform now in preview. And this is now one step at a time heading to more and more to the direction where the Power Apps are more, how would I say it? in a nice way, enterprise ready, maybe? Is that a nice way of saying that? Well, they are enterprise ready already, but to get more ALM governance, uh, processes, all of that uh, in place. Um, and of course, the pipeline is a one step forward on that. So making sure that you can deploy and automate steps uh, as part of the, the Power App development cycle. Really, really cool stuff. Good. Uh, and by the way, there's a nice Microsoft Mechanics video on that one as well, so which is really, really cool. So let's actually let's do that and just uh, get it and make sure that it's actually listed in our list of things, uh, so we don't actually miss it. Now we also had a, a update related on app manifest schema for Microsoft Teams. What, what is this? Whoa, exactly, right. So basically, the, man, the manifest de describes the shape of your app, right? So when you build an app for Teams, you have your code that runs somewhere in a cloud, SharePoint, whatever you want to, right? And then, then you also have the package with the manifest and icons. And the man, manifest has info about your apps, has such as name, display name, name, description, but also the things that you, that this app does. Does it have a bot? Does it have a tab, messaging extension, task module, whatever, right? So all of that is in the manifest. And as we introduce new things to Teams, right? And Teams apps, that manifest evolves as well with additional options. So this time around, we have another version with new options. So if you're interested to see what's new, check it out. Absolutely. And kind of a related, well, not directly related, but in, in some sense related. Um, it's Well, it's related, but not directly one-to-one -one dependency on it, uh, is the JavaScript uh, library uh, for uh, Teams. Uh, so there's a new version 2.6 available on that one, uh, which has an additional capability. So you can access, again, additional capabilities and additional things. And of course, this is available at NPM as well. Uh, which isn't mentioned on the release notes, but you know, um, it's you have to go to the uh, release on the root of the of the repo, you'll see all of the details where the where is it available and how to get started on using that. All documented as well. Now, then, Lucifer Fries had a really nice blog post related on uh, something what you've been playing around as well, uh, related on Craft Toolkit. Exactly right. So a while back, and we even did a demo about of this on Community Call. Um, I built kind of the same thing that you have available in Outlook, which is a way for you to pick a few folks from your org and plan a meeting and find a meeting time, plan a meeting. And that was kind of a control that you could build, you could integrate in your own app that you connect to Microsoft 365. Now in this article, Luisa kind of takes a concept, but then she built that in Power Apps. And it's really cool to see like how closely it resembles the thing that I built on MGT, right? Because like in this case, she doesn't use an MGT, right? Like she builds everything from scratch. Yeah. And it's really cool to see like how close it is. True. 
Sure, really awesome stuff. And it's great to see that we get more of this consistency and uh, the experiences. And of course, now, as long as we can, and whenever we, well, obviously it's in a roadmap pipeline, hopefully will happen at sooner or later, that we can actually publish components and controls for Power Apps. And at that point, encapsulating all of these as reusable controls is a awesome thing to do. For right now, uh, that's a bit of a complicated thing to actually get started. So you cannot just simply download a JSON definition or something and voila, use it as a component. That's not how it works. Um, even though there's, well, some some ways of doing that, but it's it's a bit more complicated than just referencing a set of controls. Um, maybe at some point, who knows, but uh, really awesome to see the development in here. Now, uh, Search Explains, uh, which is uh, Agnes Molnar, had a new blog post related on introduction to keyboard query language. Um, this is something which which we played with for a quite a long time, hasn't it, Waldeck? So <laughs> Definitely, definitely. It's been around for a long time, and yet it is invaluable even more True. today than in the past right because like given the scale of the cloud like we no longer go to like give me files from this side like you don't query a site you use search yeah. because where the files are stored stored is less important to you being able to, to find them right and in a cloud indexing happens really fast right so you have this almost instant indexing the moment you create a file it is there and yep. with kql that's basically the language how you talk to search to find the things that you need. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great, great, great set of kind of a recap on the basics. Um, because again, there's always new people who don't necessarily know how this works. And it's not like our documentation is the best in the world. Maybe it should be, but it isn't. So. What's wrong with that? No, nothing wrong with our documentation, never been. So uh, Peter Venstra had a quickly find apparent from the child flow in Power Automate. <laughs> so. If you have multiple flows associated between each other, you can actually, how do you find the parent flow from the child flow? So uh, a nice blog post summary and a reference point with screenshots again, uh, which Peter is always doing, um, explaining how this actually works. Really, really awesome stuff. Then we had a really cool article from Stefan Power related on SaaS. Yeah. Uh, SaaS, SaaS, SaaS. Yes, exactly. What's new with SaaS in SharePoint Framework 1.16.0? So as SPFX, evolves, there are new features and also new dependencies that we include in SPFX. And in this case, it's about SAS, right? So this, let's say, CSS or improved way to write CSS to have some of these things like inheritance so that you don't need to repeat everything, right? So uh, what's new in that area of SPFX? Really, really good. Thank you, Stefan, on that one. Um, then two weeks ago, we were in Copenhagen, uh, European SharePoint Conference uh, 2022, and, and Martin Linkstu uh, had a blog post related on what I learned at the ESPC conference in Copenhagen. These are always good stories as well, because they kind of recap the learnings, they recap the things, um, and what, what is really, really cool, what was actually covered, what was the key sessions, and then you go back potentially and watching the recordings. So thank you, Martin, on that one. Now, uh, Daniel Clinton had, had an article as well. This is actually interesting. We talked about this one before we started recording. Exactly. So communities in Microsoft Teams, right? So you might have heard that, uh, I mean, you know, right, that, we, that there is Microsoft Teams for work, right? So kind of Teams that you get with Microsoft 365. But you might or might not know that there's also Teams for life. I think that at some point that was the I official guess that's name. True. I don't know if that's... Yeah if that's still the official name, but it's kind of the teams that is included with Windows 11, 
and it's kind of the non-work or basically teams for outside work. And, and in yep. this case, it's about how would you use teams to organize community, right? Like maybe you yep. have a soccer team or hockey team or some kind of other org, right? And you want to have a, a place to engage on online. You can do that nowadays on Teams. Actually, a really interesting option as well. And it is free. It's free Teams for Life, whatever installation. So really, really cool. And there's a nice interview with Amit uh, Fule, who's a vice president in, of product at Microsoft related on this one. So there's a recording with with that, um, with uh, Daniel Klein. Now, on the video side, it was surprisingly actually quiet as well. So Shane had a new video six days ago, Power Apps example using Canva for design and a fill build. So fully built, making things pretty with containers and Canva and Pixabay. So basically building experiences, thinking through how would we use those and then having a watch on the ads, you know, because ads are important. So but basically creating nice looking applications um, and how do we reuse the assets which are coming outside of the, the Power Apps within the design. Well, that's not nice looking, but you know, um, there are different options uh, to make things pretty as well. So that's starting to look this. And then uh, we just had this one opened and this one was related on the Power Platform Managing Environments Control and Visibility, ALM and the pipelines, all of that is being touched uh, in this Microsoft Mechanics video as well, which was released four days ago. But I guess that's it uh, then for this one. So let me actually stop sharing. Last episode, any last words before we close up for this year? Um, stay safe. Happy stay Christmas, safe. happy new happy, year. Happy holidays, whatever is your chosen celebration. Yeah. And, and I guess we stay safe, stay healthy. Time. And we'll see, yeah, we'll see everybody hopefully in January. Let's stay in touch. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody.